Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Wednesday, November 30th, 2022 and the end of week 40 of the Russia-Ukraine War. It's been 3,199 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 280 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine war update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the risk of terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure is extremely high, with another round of attacks likely this week. Second, we maintain Russia will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed, or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Third, We maintain that the risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian destruction of electrical infrastructure is possible. Fourth, we maintain that Russia is conducting stealth mobilization and may be preparing for the second wave of partial mobilization in January 2023. Fifth, we assess the slowdown in combat operations on multiple axes will end in the next 11 to 26 days, with winter weather conditions starting to sweep across Ukraine. Sixth, we maintain that neither belligerent will institute a winter pause. Seventh, we maintain that President Putin's inner circle is actively targeting Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu for dismissal and replacement due to continued military failures in Ukraine. Eighth, we maintain that Russian President Vladimir Putin is facing unrest inside and outside the Kremlin, If there continue to be military failures, there is a remote chance Russia could face a regime change. Ninth, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations. Tenth, we maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. Eleventh, We maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. And finally, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine has diminished, but remains a possibility in the next 40 to 70 days. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kherson and Zaporizhia. There was mutual shelling by both belligerents across the Dnipro, with a further reduction in activity compared to the weekend. Russian forces conducted 21 fire missions on the free Ukraine territories west of the Dnipro River, 
targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure. The regional hospital in Kherson was damaged by a nearby artillery strike, which shattered windows in the facility. Russian positions in Kakhovka were targeted, as were Russian troop concentrations in occupied Skadovsk in eastern Kherson, which were struck by rockets fired by HIMARS twice. Losses and damage were unknown at the time of recording. The situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains unchanged, with the Kremlin denying there are plans to withdraw from the facility. Minister of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine Dmitry Kuleba met with the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, Director General Rafael Grossi in Budapest during the NATO summit. Kuleba and Grossi told reporters that the work to create a demilitarized zone around ZNPP is continuing and that the IAEA would increase its presence at nuclear sites across Ukraine. Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack struck a village near the city of Zaporizhia, damaging a gas pipeline and sparking a fire. There were no injuries reported. Insurgents shared a video of the aftermath of a rocket attack by HIMARS on Mirna in occupied Zaporizhia. Local reports said the strike was 30 kilometers away from Melitopol, hinting that this is the Mirna south of the city, not north. Quick sidebar, there are dozens of Mirnas across Ukraine, including more than one town with the name in many oblasts. In fairness, though, in the UK there are more places called Newton than I can count. The strike destroyed the town's recreation center, which had been converted into a Russian barracks. Heavy equipment started demolition of the site on the same day. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that the November 27th strikes on Russian positions in Polohi, Tokmak, and Basan wounded up to 470 Russian troops and destroyed up to 50 pieces of military equipment. Without evidence. In the November 28th situation report, we shared a link to a video of the aftermath of one of the strikes, indicating that M30A1 rockets for the HIMARS systems were used in at least one of the attacks. The rocket carries 182,000 tungsten fragments and uses an optimized charge to maximize velocity and spread. Artillery fire was heavier along the line of conflict in Zaporizhia, from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola to Orekhiv to Malishirbaki. Orekhiv was heavily shelled, with over 70 strikes targeting civilian infrastructure. No injuries were reported in the attack. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southwest Donetsk. Despite clear skies and improved weather, there wasn't a significant increase in fighting in the area. There were conflicting reports about the operational tempo in Marinka, with Ukrainian and Russian sources reporting continued fighting. Mercenaries with Wargonzo reported heavy fighting and that elements of the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, had advanced past the middle of the city. In contrast, mercenaries with Rybar reported no change in the situation, with only positional fighting. The self-declared leader of the DNR, Denis Pushilin, announced the imminent capture of Bakhmut on November 28th and claimed that Volodar was almost captured on November 29th, but made no statement about Marinka. We covered in yesterday's episode, around minute three or four, that Bakhmut is not in, nor close to being in, a technical encirclement, and no other source reported any fighting around Pavlivka or Volodar. 
In our assessment, the situation is unchanged, with Russian proxy forces east of Druzhby Avenue. Morgonzo reported continued fighting north of Marinka in Krasnohorivka, with no change in the situation. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported positional fighting near Nevelske and Pervomaiske, with DNR forces suffering heavy losses due to repeated failed advances. The People's Militia of the DNR Telegram Channel released their 5 o'clock follies, reporting their units destroyed an S-21 Multiple Launch Rocket System, or MLRS launcher, four tanks, and 11 pieces of, quote, armored and automotive vehicles. The Russian MOD, however, did not report any military hardware destroyed in regions where the DNR has troops deployed. Ukrainian forces completed 162 fire missions on the occupied territories. DNR state media reported four rockets fired by HIMARS struck the town of Amvrosivka, about 70 kilometers from the front lines. In the occupied city of Kharkiv, local officials claimed that the sound of explosions was caused by air defense missiles, followed coincidentally by a city-wide power outage. After the outage, they reported it was caused by a, quote, breakdown at an electrical substation, requiring, quote, significant work to repair. DNR officials claimed that Ukraine shelled the penal colony in Khorlivka and said there were no casualties. Ukrainian officials have repeatedly denied targeting civilian areas in the occupied territories or the known location of penal colonies and prison camps. Additional areas of Khorlivka were shelled, along with the western and central districts of the city of Donetsk. In Mariupol, occupation forces restarted work to remove the rubble from the drama theater, which was destroyed by a Russian airstrike in March, despite the word children written around the building. An estimated 300 to 600 people were killed in the airstrike, with the real number likely never known as the last international press reporters evacuated from the city the day after the attack. Occupation officials said, quote, The restoration of the drama theater is the number one priority and should become a symbol of Russia's reconstruction of Russian Mariupol. End quote. The heating situation in Mariupol is not improving, despite the arrival of portable boiler houses and the distribution of thousands of electrical heaters. See, the provided steam houses from the Russian Federation are defective, and the recent distribution of 3,500 heaters overloaded the electrical system in the central district, shorting out wires and causing numerous small fires. Long lines of trucks and buses waited to cross into occupied Ukraine at the Novoazovsk border crossing. While the Kremlin has denied that Customs was holding up the shipment of so-called dual-use materials into Ukraine, such as drones, thermal imagers, gun sites, sleeping bags, two-way radios, and heaters, complaints continued about Customs delays and its impacting area business in the DNR. All kindergartens and schools in the DNR were reported to be closed, with Russian troops searching for bombs, as we reported in yesterday's episode. In northeast Donetsk, Bakhmut and Solidar continue to see the most intense fighting in Ukraine, with both belligerents appearing to be regrouping after three days of intense fighting. Wargonzo reported continued fighting around Yakovlivka with no change in the situation. The GSAFU reported continued fighting in Bakhmutska, which has entered its fifth month. There weren't any reports of fighting east of Bakhmut, but Russian and Ukrainian forces conducted heavy artillery strikes on each other's positions. 
It's likely that positional fighting continued along the E-40 highway. Russian reports that Klishivka had been captured were false, according to both Ukrainian and Russian sources. Reports that Russian forces occupied Kurdyumivka were also false, with a video from November 29th showing Ukrainian forces still in the town. A video circulated by Russian state media claiming the village had been captured was geolocated in Ozaryanivka. It is also highly likely that Zelenopilia, just east of Kurdyumivka, is contested and not captured by Russian forces. Continued heavy fighting was reported along the length of the T-513 highway. Some assessment here. So, private military company, or PMC Wagner, made territorial gains along the T-513 highway over the last 48 hours. But leadership in the DNR, the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, and PMC Wagner overstated the gains. We maintain that the situation for both belligerents is difficult, but Bakhmut and Solidar are not in, nor are they close to being in a technical encirclement. PMC Wagner continued attacks east of Spirna and Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk. Reports by the Russian MOD that Spirna had been captured after Ukrainian forces withdrew without a fight were false. According to PMC Wagner and Kremlin propagandists Ridovka. Okay, let's talk about this. Assessment time. PMC Wagner's propaganda network has called out almost every belligerent for making false victory reports. But this is the first time they've gone against the Russian MOD. Ridovka, who have rarely strayed from Kremlin talking points, wrote yesterday, quote, The news about the capture of the settlement of Spirna by the Russian army at the moment does not correspond to reality. End quote. It is noteworthy that the Russian MOD is being called out for falsifying information, not just from PMC Wagner, which is trying to put more shine on its rising star, but it comes just weeks after Russian state media and the population as a whole appealed for more honesty from the Kremlin after the fall of Izum and Lehman. Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu assured Russian state media that more realistic information would be provided in the future, and there was a shift in messaging during the fall of Kherson. The return to fabricating battlefield success across multiple fronts will only drive a deeper wedge between the Kremlin, its internal detractors, and the mill blogger community. Russian forces shelled Lehman with grad rockets, killing one person and wounding three others. Further west, Slovyansk was struck by S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack. Three missiles struck the city in the Chimik and Lisny districts. The city was evacuated in April, so it's pretty sparsely populated, and the attack resulted in no reported casualties. Moving on to Luhansk, Russian forces attempted to recapture Stelnachivka and were unsuccessful. Multiple Russian sources reported continued fighting southwest of Chervonopopivka with no change in the situation. Positional fighting continued east of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, also with no change in the situation. The LNR reported the town of Zaliznishne had been struck by two drones, causing light damage to one building. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. 
In the Cherniv, Kharkiv, and Sumy region, Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that the Romadas of Krasnopilia, Nova Sloboda, Vorozhba, and Druzhba were attacked by Russian forces from across the international border. Over 150 artillery shells and mortars struck the region. In Nova Sloboda, three grain warehouses, farm equipment, and a commercial business were damaged in the attack. In Druzhba and Vorozhba, Russian forces targeted civilians and civilian infrastructure, damaging 10 homes and knocking out electricity to 3,300 families. The villages of Yanjulivka, Mikolaivka, and Khalakhanivka in Cherniv were also shelled from across the border. There were no reports of significant damage or injuries. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, tensions remain high, with Ukrainian military leaders expecting a large-scale missile attack this week. The Black Sea fleet has 12 vessels on patrol, including one missile carrier capable of launching eight caliber cruise missiles. Colonel Yevhen Yedin reported on OnePlus One that Russian forces were regrouping on the Kinburn Spit, and Ukrainian troops continued military operations, saying, quote, The enemy is currently regrouping there. The situation unfolding at the Kinburn Spit is under control, but as of now, it's too early to say that the armed forces of Ukraine have control over the Kinburn Spit. End quote. Russian forces once again attempted to shell Ochakiv with the artillery rounds, once again, landing in the Dniproska Gulf. In western and central Ukraine, Russian forces struck Dnipro with S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack, destroying a commercial business. There were no reported casualties. Explosions were reported in Poltava, but were caused by air defense missiles, with no damage reported in the city. Russian forces attacked Nikopol and Marchanets with a barrage of 30 Grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, and artillery. There wasn't significant damage or injuries reported. In Venezia, continued attacks on the Ladajin thermal power plant have created an emergency situation in the town. On November 24th, the steam lines, which provided heat and hot water to 18,000 people, had to be taken offline. The only alternative is electrical heaters, which can't be powered due to the attack on the plant. Serhi Borzov, Venezia Oblast administrative and military governor, said, quote, Taking into account the appeal of Oleksandr Kolomietz, mayor of the Ladezhin City Council, we are deploying the work of the emergency headquarters to eliminate the consequences of the accident in the city. End quote. Borzov also called the response from city officials, quote, completely inadequate. Moving on to the Russian front, the governor of the Kursk Oblast, Roman Stadovoit, accused Ukrainian forces of shelling Suzhansky, knocking out power to the town and Koronevsky. He also reported that the town of Tietzgano was shelled, knocking out power to part of the community. A gentle reminder here, located in Tietzgano is a Russian firebase that has fired on communities in the Sumy Oblast of Ukraine for months. In Surajai, a fuel depot was burning out of control, with Russian state media reporting the facility was struck by a drone-dropped munition. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. 
DTEK reported that stabilization efforts on the Ukrainian power grid had been completed, and barring other issues or a Russian attack, unscheduled blackouts will not be required. However, most areas of Ukraine will only have electrical power for five or six hours a day. Prime Minister of Ukraine Denis Shmal reported that the nation has over 14 billion cubic meters of natural gas in storage and 1.3 million tons of coal reserves. Official projections show Ukraine has sufficient reserves to get through the winter months, even if all gas deliveries stopped. At the Bucharest-NATO summit, the ministers of foreign affairs of NATO countries released a joint statement condemning Russian aggression. The statement read, quote, Russia bears full responsibility for this war, a gross violation of international law and the principles of the UN Charter. We condemn Russia's brutality against the civilian population of Ukraine and human rights violations, such as forced deportations, torture, and barbaric treatment of women, children, and persons in vulnerable positions. All perpetrators of war crimes, including conflict-related sexual violence, must be brought to justice. End quote. Hungary blocked Ukrainian representatives from attending the NATO meetings. Ole Nikolenko, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs spokesperson of Ukraine, said, quote, To formally overcome the Hungarian veto, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg is organizing a separate meeting for the NATO foreign ministers and Ukraine. Dimitro Kuleba and his foreign colleagues will discuss further military assistance to Ukraine and the restoration of Ukrainian energy infrastructure. End quote. Canadian Foreign Minister Melanie Jolie told the NATO summit, quote, Russia is not at the negotiating table at all, and therefore our goal now is only to strengthen Ukraine's position on the ground through military assistance, intelligence exchange, and financial support, end quote. Do you know how hard it is to make Canadians mad? We try, in the United States, every single day, and they just shake their heads and say, now what is this all about, hey? United States Department of Defense officials believe Russia has exhausted its initial supply of Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones, which aligns with early reports that Russia had purchased approximately 400 UAVs. We had assessed that they were being used at an unsustainable rate and felt it was unlikely Iran could produce four to 500 drones a month for export to Russia. The Kremlin purchased drones from Iran in the first place because of its lack of drone warfare technology and the high consumption rate of its precision munitions. A video showed the special squadron of the 21st Separate Battalion of Ukraine refusing to fight and calling for an investigation into their commander for ordering them into battle without sufficient equipment, protection, and arms. Videos have appeared during intense fighting, such as around Donetsk in August and Severodonetsk in June. The Russian Ministry of Defense has also created fake videos to try and lower morale and create unrest among Ukrainian units. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz announced that his nation would send more Gepard anti-aircraft systems to Ukraine. So far, 30 Gepards are in service and have been very effective in targeting drones. The system uses four autocannons with a maximum range of 6,300 meters. Germany is also providing 14 Themis ground drones to Ukraine. The Milrem robotics drones are designed to transport the wounded off the battlefield and demine areas to create a safe attack route. 
NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said that the final decision on transferring Patriot anti-aircraft missile systems has not yet been made. However, the alliance continues to discuss the matter. Stoltenberg said, quote, Now in NATO and in the Rammstein format, where the USA is the chairman, we are working on a specific list of military assistance that Ukraine needs. Part of it concerns the provision of new systems, like, for example, the Patriots. But it is also very important to keep all the systems that we supply operational, and to do that, we need to ensure that we provide the spare parts so that they can maintain those systems as well as the munitions. End quote. The United States has continued to express reluctance to provide the Patriot system to Ukraine due to the complexity of training and the cost of operations and maintenance. Providing the anti-aircraft system is no longer seen as a so-called red line, with Ukraine already operating IRIS-T and NASMs. Though, don't tell that to Dmitry Medvedev, deputy head of the Security Council of the Russian Federation, who said that if Patriot missile systems are provided to Ukraine, they will become, quote, a legal target. We want to applaud Medvedev, who, instead of threatening nuclear war on the world, which he could have, stated the obvious, that military hardware in a war zone is a legitimate military target. It is. It, it is. It is that. Slovakia continues its support of Ukraine, transferring 30 Soviet-era BMP-1 infantry fighting vehicles. France confirmed it had provided Ukraine with an LRU M270 guided multiple launch rocket system or GMLRS launcher. The LRU M270 is a close relative of the German Mars 2 and the United States M270 tracked GMLRS vehicle and fires the same rockets as the M142 high mobility artillery rocket system or HIMARS launcher. Ukraine dropped import fees and VAT, or value-added tax, in Starlink terminals. However, any gains were taken away by the SpaceX announcement that the price for service in Ukraine was being raised from $60 a month to $75, and the price for a terminal was jumping from $500 to $700. Some Ukrainian politicians expressed frustration and accused Elon Musk and SpaceX of profiteering. Pictures confirmed that Italy had provided Ukraine with FH-270 155mm towed howitzers. The FH-270 can fire three bursts of artillery shells in 15 seconds, while a skilled crew can maintain a sustained firing rate of six rounds per minute. The range is 24 to 30 kilometers depending on the shell and charges used. Speaking of charges, let's talk about Russian mobilization. The production of dragon's teeth obstacles continues to expand, with concrete manufacturers casting the tank barriers in occupied Crimea. The factory in Shkilna can produce 5,000 dragon's teeth per month, each weighing 550 kilograms. In Tavir, Russia, the production of a propaganda movie about the special military operation in Ukraine called The Musician was suspended after area residents were afraid Ukrainian forces had invaded because of the vehicles used in production displaying Ukrainian flags and military symbols. In Sovietsky, Crimea, 600 Russian soldiers from Yakutia arrived, with town residents told they needed to provide housing for the troops. Empty homes have been occupied, and now issues with the fresh mobics causing fights and looking for alcohol are being reported. PMC Wagner may be facing recruiting problems in Russian penal colonies, 
now that the Kremlin appears to be taking steps to cut off access. However, they may have already found a solution. The private military company is accused of recruiting convicts in the Central African Republic to fight in Ukraine and Mali, where company representatives in the African nation said there is a, quote, urgent need. Radovka reported, with evidence, that the Prosecutor General's Office of Russia is planning to, quote, review publications and social media channels of unaffiliated journalists that spread, quote, false information with data from the armed forces of the Russian Federation or discrediting the actions of the Russian Federation, end quote, along with a whole long list of other potential so-called crimes. According to the Kremlin, a media source may be restricted or outright banned within five days of determining that it has violated the rules. We've been banned since March 23rd, and were put on a Russian-influenced kill list on November 26th. Honestly, we wear it as a badge of honor, though we won't be drinking any tea that we did not buy ourselves. All is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is minor graphic detail in today's report, and if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Investigators found another mass grave in recently liberated Kherson near the town of Pravdene. The bodies were found with their hands tied, and they had been shot in the back of the head at close range. Local residents buried the bodies after the Russian troops left and told investigators the eight people were murdered after they were accused of providing information to the Ukrainian military. The Kremlin has wasted no time in restricting the pool of available prisoners for PMC Wagner to recruit from, sending 250 convicts to the Uralvagonzavod tank factory to work as slave labor. The convicts are being brought in due to a labor shortage with so many men conscripted into the Russian military and hundreds of thousands who have fled the nation. The Biden administration is reportedly considering declaring PMC Wagner a terrorist organization to curtail its activities in Africa. A final decision has not been made, which ultimately belongs to Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Earlier this week, Yevgeny Prigozhin was put on the FBI wanted list with a $250,000 reward for his capture. In geopolitical news, the Czech Republic group Gift for Putin has published a petition calling for electricity to be disconnected from the Russian embassy to, quote, let them freeze after dark like the people of Kiev, end quote. And in economic news, the ruble was unchanged, holding an exchange rate of 61 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices were mixed, with WTI crude rising to $89 a barrel and Brent holding at 85 United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market was unchanged, trading at $2.37 per gallon for November contracts. That's 62 cents a liter. Dutch TTF gas futures were also mixed, with January 2023 deliveries steady at 129 euros per megawatt hour, and February 2023 contracts climbing to 134. Chicago SRW wheat futures were essentially unchanged, trading at $7.87 a bushel for March 2023 contracts. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone.
You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.